love, compassion, equanimity, joy. Qualities that make living this life way more pleasant, let's say. So it's like this picture of that bubble. We all have our life bubble. And one day this bubble bursts. What it just means is you are entering back into the state that in the first place made it possible for the bubble to appear. Welcome back to the Everyday Stoic. This is the first of the Everyday Stoic podcast where I, William Mulligan, the Everyday Stoic, talk to interesting, successful, inspiring, and intriguing people from around the world that have been through failures, difficulties, successes, rises and falls, and they've developed their own philosophies throughout life that have guided them through their unique journey. I will be breaking down and discussing their own personal philosophies, contrasting it with my own and the philosophy of Stoicism and other ancient philosophies. The reason I'm doing this is because I think people develop these great ideas throughout their life and sometimes you as the audience and me as an audience can latch on to similar ideas and it can help us in our own lives to become the best version of ourselves. What a way to start this off. The first episode with Master Shu Heng Yi of the Shaolin Temple Europe. It was so incredible to see him in such a relaxed and open manner. He was being more personal, sharing his own philosophy. And even towards the end, he said something that has made me think to this day, a few weeks later, about Emperor Marcus Aurelius and his book, The Meditations. I'm sure it will interest some of you Stoic fanatics out there, so I hope you enjoy. Today's episode is powered by Huel, which is a quick, affordable, nutritionally complete food with everything that your body needs. So let's jump right into it. This is episode one of The Everyday Stoic with Shi Heng Ye. Um, I'm happy to have you here. It's a good first guest to have, um, especially because I think um, over the years we've developed like a, a good friendship, I think, with my family and you. And I think I'm very excited to start this podcast with you. Um, so uh, I'll jump right into it. First of all, um, I'd like to know your thoughts on stoicism. Um, I know you've, I feel like you've got a good understanding, but you haven't researched it all. But I'd like to know what you think of it from your brief understanding. Well, yeah, first of all, thank you very much for uh, the invitation again. I think this is now the third time that we see each other. And previously, we tried, or let's say, uh, you asked me questions about Stoicism already. And to be perfectly honest, uh, I also mentioned already, I'm always open to listen to different concepts, different ideas, but I'm absolutely not someone who studied, for example, precisely what Stoicism is about. So that means it just helps me, for example, whenever we talk about anything, the more detailed you can explain or you can like tell me your point of view about it or what a specific topic maybe means to you, then I can tell you my thoughts about it. But it's, it's quite important because maybe you have many people listening who already like uh, are well educated in this field of stoicism. So that means might be I say something which doesn't go go in line, but it's just my thoughts, you know, because in the way of how I look at the human, how I look at 
what's going on in myself. I just think that there are some patterns, that there are some structures that you always recognize again and again when you just pay enough attention to it. And so at the end, if you have then different observations regarding, let's say, your emotional states, regarding also your physical health maybe, and also then put it in relation to what type of thoughts have caused these emotions. Then I think you will come up with many different relationships and many different connections that you might even discover by yourself. And if all of these type of thoughts, also in regards to your environment, you put it into, let's say, uh, an understandable model. Maybe this is, this is the way how I see why nowadays we have so many different philosophies, theories, however you call it. But ultimately, they all come from the same source, which is like from the human. And so at the end of the day, what, I, what, what matters to me is what ultimately is the result for a human being after knowing all of these teachings. And then the question is, how are you going to put it into practice? So essentially, this is my way of thinking. And therefore, I've also never really got stuck in one specific direction, let's say. You know, so because in every teaching you find some truth. Okay? If there is something that is maybe contradicting, well, then I have to dive deeper until I got my personal answer. Doesn't mean the teaching is wrong, only means that it doesn't fit in my world. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, that's kind of how I think with um, a lot of people are too structured. So if I'm teaching Stoicism, they think everything has to be Stoicism. But I actually really like Taoism, um, specifically I really like Taoism, and I've learned a lot, so I've kind of um, merged them together. But just to explain something of Stoicism, uh, a big misunderstanding uh, with a lot of people, and uh, especially as it's getting really popular now, people think it's about being emotionless and being this like cold robot that just gets on with their life, you know, they feel pain, don't care, um, don't care about relationships, they're just focused, um, but it's completely wrong. Um, actually, it's about being compassionate, being kind, benevolent, um, and I think people think being emotionless is manly and strong, but the Stoics like to think of your emotions as watching a river, and you can observe your emotions going past, and you can sort of detach away from them, but you still feel them. Um, do you think uh, being compassionate, being benevolent, being kind, do you think that is manly? So let's start like with like being emotionless. I think since many years, if you also like look at the, the videos that have been published from me, I think 99% of the time I have more or less the same face expression. When I have classes, or wherever you see me normally, I used to have more or less a quiet, sometimes people say very serious, very strict face expression. So the first thing is what you see on the outside. 
Well, but now I can tell you because uh, because it's like my body. I can tell you that throughout all these years, it has never happened that more or less I am just emotionless walking through my days. This is not what's happening. So there is the clear distinction between how you look on the outside, what you are expressing maybe on the outside and what's going on on the inside. So just because you don't see something doesn't mean it's not existing. At the same time, just because you see something obviously like from the outside also doesn't mean it directly translates to what you are able to see on the inside. You know, it's like especially coming from an Asian culture. Sometimes you notice this is where the sentences come from. Like face to face. It's like we can smile with each other. But inside I can have a very different feeling about when I smile. Yeah. So smiling doesn't necessarily mean it's friendly or that I am happy. So outside appearance and internal state are already like two different things. And at the same time, just observing my internal world or my emotional world is even coming now from the Buddhist tradition. It's not about being emotionless. It's, it's actually it's impossible to be emotionless. The only question is how much impact and how much influence ultimately when you regard your life and also the decisions that you are taking during this lifetime. If you could say that these are really good decisions that I've been taken in my life and these are some decisions that I wished afterwards I would have taken other ones. I do think that there might be a correlation between decisions that are being taken clear-minded and decisions that are being taken maybe because of uh, some overwhelming or whatever emotional colored state. And the picture that we use, for example, in the Buddhist traditions is just like this, this glass of water. Yeah? So also referring to, we are getting born just like this clear glass of water. And in the moment where, now it's nice, uh, I just take this one for a moment. Yeah. So if I put right now the glass on top of this and you just watch down, it's absolutely no problem for you to still read what is standing beneath it, right? Yeah. There is like, there is no irritation. There is no, um, there's no disturbance of the image itself. So, but it only is possible to see it like this, meaning through the lenses of your eyes. This is like the lenses of the eyes because it's clear. And now as a picture speaking, whenever any type of emotion comes up, regardless, it's not just like the emotions that people regard as negative. Okay. It's even, um, a lot of happiness, okay? Even happiness is something that is starting to change the consistency or the state of this water, meaning the color can be, can be uh, the water can be colored. Or sometimes there can be dirt inside and you shake it a little bit. So something about this clearness is changing. And in the moment when that emotional state is 
is dominating and then you watch down. It doesn't necessarily mean you cannot, hundred, you cannot read anymore what's written there, but it still is tinted. Yeah. It still has somehow now a color to it. Okay? And the only suggestion is, let's say like this, that the best decisions, I think, also come when there is no disturbance between what you see and how it is. Because then your, your decision taking is like a hundred percent based on what you would call reality. And all other states, boiling water, frozen water, dirty water, colored water, all of these things are just irritations. So, and this is where, as a, as a model of understanding, if I look into myself and ask myself in the, in the past years, in the past months, so how was it? Then I definitely can, can see it also that, there might, that it, it changes the way of how you look at the world and therefore also changes the possibilities of the solutions and then also the decisions that you are ultimately taken. So, and, and that's the bottom line. So it's important for me to understand why someone is propagating the state or the, the neglection of emotions. Okay, so this is like the bottom line. So when it comes to taking decisions, I think clearness is what you want. And whatever it is that is disturbing that clarity, this is something you need to find a solution for to, to handle or to adjust. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people um, try to just eliminate these emotions because it's easier to just get rid of them than to actually face them. Or not get rid of them, they're just suppressing them and it'll be making their water dirty in some way, internally. Um, how would you clear that water? Number one is you need to be able to realize about yourself that it's dirty. Yeah, which means you need that self-reflection to actually see yourself in which state you are. And that, and, and that difference is when you are co completely identifying yourself with this and you are 100% identifying yourself. It's like, it's like when I feel, when I'm feeling hungry, when I'm feeling hungry, for example, that it's like, I feel hungry, I have to eat. So there is that direct translation to you feel and then you directly do, because you think this is like you. But to be able, let's say, to see yourself in a way, also like verbally speaking, okay, my body just gave me the signal, he's hungry. So just by the wording, you have like another, you, you already have another perspective actually about yourself. So my body tells me I am hungry, but I cannot just stand up right now because this podcast is running. Yeah. So that means because of this uh, overview now, you start to have different, different possibilities. 
Okay, so that that first necessity is that you don't directly identify with what is going on inside of you. Okay, so this is the one to to see it, and afterwards you have like different depending on what type of emotion it is. Yeah, in the Buddhist practices, for example, you have sometimes um, meta meditation. So it is like um, meditating upon a certain quality, meditating upon a certain a certain quality. For example, compassion. For example, mercy. For example, healing. Okay, so very nicely, and this is what what I told you before. Why I like to also look into other traditions. For example, in the Tibetan tradition of Buddhism, like you have so many different Buddha figures that are all symbolizing something different. Yeah. Now, for example, symbolizing, like I just said before, compassion or healing. Okay, something like this. If you expand this now even more and you go into the Chinese culture, you will realize that. For example, in Taiwan, because this is where I saw it and where it came to my mind uh, again very clearly, I think every 300 meters, you actually have like a shrine or you have a temple right located inside the, the main roads, the main shopping roads, like in the center of the city. So they are all temples everywhere. Each temple having one shrine or having one altar with more or less one or sometimes yeah with one main person that this temple is dedicated to and sometimes it can be that it is the goddess of the oceans okay this is now probably not buddhism but it is like chinese culture nevertheless there is a statue which is named as the goddess of the oceans for what is she responsible for what was she initiated? For example, for all the folks before that had uh, that had fisher jobs, so that went out fishing. And sometimes you had good years, sometimes you had bad years, sometimes you had bad weather, sometimes you have good weather in order to do the fishing. And in the way how I understand it is, whatever you think is missing in your life, why is it missing in your life? is because you don't feel it. If you would feel you're abundant, if you would feel you're satisfied, if you feel you're satisfied, you would not look for satisfaction. If you feel you're rich, you would not look in order to become rich. So the reason why we continuously look for something is because we don't have it. And what now, going to the shrines, going to the temple, can help you with is that it gives you the space. It gives you the space to contemplate upon the quality that this goddess or that this god is representing. And so that means if it is the Buddha of compassion, the people go in front and all thoughts about being in front of this statue is based upon compassionate topics, let's call it like this. 
So whenever you see this statue, it actually supports you in calling up inside of yourself the feeling of compassion. So what you're actually doing is that you are using a symbolism, you are using maybe the trust or, yeah, or, or the energy of such a place in order to actually nourish yourself with the quality of what this statue is representing. And that means you're bringing what is missing in your life actually into your life. And that type of understanding, I think, makes a lot of sense. Why contemplating on different areas makes uh, is just a very helpful method. In the same way how in Buddhist teachings, there are so-called the four hard qualities. Yeah? Love, compassion, equanimity, joy. Love, compassion, equanimity, joy. Four fundamental states, qualities that make living this life way more pleasant, let's say. Something you were saying then, and I've actually, I've wrote about this actually, is the act of trying to pursue something or wanting to get something. And it's kind of my thoughts on desire. It's just proof that you don't have that thing. Um, so if you're chasing happiness, it's kind of proven to yourself you do not have happiness. Um, but actually, we was talking about um, both of our books earlier, and something I didn't tell you about my book is um, I've wrote about the story of when I first met you. So like, like there's a small story in there and a bit of a lesson that um, I got from you. It's something that's really impacted my life. I wrote about that, so I thought it was quite interesting. I thought I'd share that with you now. Um, how was the process of writing your book? I had the idea of putting down, no, how I say, in the way how I talk, in the way how I teach, I, I really prefer to condense and, and, and try to talk less, but bring it straight to the point. So that means each word I try to to choose it, that there is no unnecessary word in that sentence. Every word, I have thought about it. And then I give that one sentence out and hope that if you hear this, you get the message. Okay? I don't like to talk like 50, I don't like to talk without saying something. This is, this is not me. Okay? And in the same way, when it now comes to the book or a book, I thought, okay, that would be nice to really have everything more or less that I've been talking about the last 10, 12 years to have it condensed into one book. This idea has always been there, but at the same time, it has also been there that I've been too busy. <laughs> so somehow the chance never popped up for me to sit down and finally start putting these things uh, into place until like one and a half, two years ago. Um, luckily, I have to say, a publisher here from Germany started contacting me, asking about how about writing a book. And like I said, the idea was good, but the time was still not there. And then 
another, maybe you would say, coincidence happened that one of my former students or one of the guests that visited the Shaolin Temple, she also like followed the teachings of what we are sharing and she liked very much all the approaches. And in her spare time, she already was an author, but she was like more specialized in, in, how you, in uh, like Sherlock Holmes style, creamy, you know? That was her, her specialization. But nevertheless, she offered me to help me putting my words down into proper structure. Okay. So in the way how it went then was I connected, I connected that student with the publisher. So, and afterwards we just started all the formalities and the way how it worked was then she continuously came visiting, recorded or had interview questions recorded a lot of footage about my thoughts, afterwards transcribing them into, into text, sending them over to me again for me just to see, because I heard, I learned, for example, that spoken language and written language can be different. Okay. But for me, important is that when you read it, It must be in such a way that I wanted to express it. Yeah? So that means I have my structure sometimes, how I put the words and how I put the logic inside the sentences. And that's why this was a way of how we um, be lateral, always help each other. Okay? You put it already the first draft down, I looked over it and this is the way how then over one, one and a half years, this book started developing. Yes, and ultimately what's inside of there, I would say 36 years compressed. Yeah. And yeah, which also means you asked me yesterday already, when's, uh, if I'm planning for uh, any next book, yeah, it's not out of the world, but certainly not, certainly not so early. Yeah. Because Everything I have to say, more or less, is, it's in there. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far with Master Shuhengye, and I hope you're learning something. It gets really interesting towards the end, especially when we start talking about Emperor Marx Aurelius. It was something that really struck a chord with me, and really, it kind of made me chuckle, but also made me think. Today's episode is powered by Huel, which is a quick, affordable, nutritionally complete um, food with everything that your body needs. I actually use Huel a lot for my workouts, for my writing, throughout my day. I know I have the energy, the nutrition, the protein to keep me fueled, to keep me focused. Um, and it's quick and easy and tastes very nice as well. For this podcast actually, for this whole episode and the talks we had with Master Xianye over the three days and the drive all the way to Germany, uh, myself and the team were powered by Huel. We had their drinks, their shakes, their ready meals. It was a great addition to the trip and it's also a great addition to my life. It just helps keep me on track really. It's something I don't have to focus on. Normally I have to plan my meal prep or I have to make sure I'm going to the shops to get a certain meal, which normally costs a load and I end up getting something unhealthy. But now I just have Huel, it's always there tastes good. So I'm happy to have Huel as the sponsor for today's episode because it is a company that I love. It's a company that I can get behind their message. I can get behind what they're doing, their mission statement. And actually it is a product that I've shared with people in the past. 
um, told people, hey, you should try this. I've even gave people some of my own stuff, just let them try it. Everyone's loved it. I love it myself, so it's something I'm happy to share with you guys. So if you're interested in Huel and their products, go in the link in bio and you can get some for yourself. I uh, hope you enjoy, and let's get back into this episode with Master Xu Hengye. It gets quite exciting, so I hope you enjoy. I think um, something that's sad is our writing process is very similar. Um, I got contacted, and the book is basically a decade of stoicism, um, how it's influenced my life, how it's what I've learned from it, it's explaining the Stoic teachings. So it's kind of a, a similar thing, I suppose. It's kind of everything that I've ever learned about Stoicism, everything that I've taught about is just summed up into a book. And I think it was a very similar process um, with writing it. Um, something I want to know your thoughts on that I find interesting is maybe people don't know about Stoicism. It's the original Stoics, and you don't read about this in any of these books, is um, they talk about dreams. And they believe that there's two reasons you have a dream. It's either um, progress, you can track your progress through dreams, you can track the, your character, but also sometimes there's like a, a divine gift from God um, well, through symbolism, through an image, through um, the dream process you will be given something that you was unaware of. And this is, this is how some ideas just come into the world where it's like um, so original, so unique. Um, have you ever had, maybe through meditation, through um, a vision, through dream, have you ever had anything like that, like a, an enlightenment or a, a vision or something that just, when you got it, you, you knew about it? So when I think about my my or what's going on let's say when i go to bed within the last few years i have type of dreams where i can definitely tell that they are like an expression they are they have been visualized issues that were just um unprocessed yeah, yeah? either unprocessed from the day or unprocessed for a long time so which means there is something stuck inside of me and in, let's say, in this awake world, I haven't solved it yet. And then the same core of issue, the same, yeah, the same core of issue is starting to pop up. It just maybe is expressed in different images. But inside is like the same core, whatever it is. Okay. So this is one type of, uh, of dreams that I have. Then there's another type of, I would also maybe call it dreaming, that is giving me, that's giving me inspiration. So I, I feel this is a type of inspirational dream. It is yeah. something where I know, okay, I haven't reached it yet, but I saw it in my dreams. So why shouldn't it be possible if I saw it already? Yeah, so no matter if I, if I have to take a decision, okay, what will I do next? And in real life right now, I would say, um, it's not possible. No, I can't do it. Yeah. So then I go to bed, I sleep, and then suddenly I have another dream, which is inspiring me to still strive for something, even if in the beginning it felt impossible. Yeah. 
And if something like this in the awake, in the awake state, I think it's impossible. In the dream state, the message tells me it's possible. Well, then, then this is the message I also take like for myself. And yes. I just remembered something when you were talking about um, your book and your writing style. Um, you, you said you like to kind of condense it or uh, get the right message across without adding all, all the fluff. Um, that's actually something the Stoics did. It's, um, they had a, they called it a laconic style of speaking. And it's because, you know, at the time there was these, what they're called sophists, um, the love, uh, these preachers that would go out and teach people lessons, um, but in exchange for money. So what they did is they practiced speaking and they practiced rhetoric. And um, instead of actually giving good advice, they would just speak really well, add a lot of emotion to it to kind of convince people to listen to them, to give them money. And when the Stokes came along, there was they wanted to give out the teachings for free and they didn't want to confuse anything. They believed it's just, you know, if the message, the truth is good enough, then that's all you need, directional. So I thought it was quite a good um, comparison. Um, there's a quote by the founder of Stoicism, Zeno, um, we spoke about him yesterday. He was a wealthy merchant. His ship got wrecked. Um, but I thought it was interesting. It kind of makes me think of you. He says you have two ears and one mouth, so you can listen twice as much as you can speak. And I think something that viewers of you don't say is, and something I think we've all noticed is, um, you know, you're speaking all the time on here, but actually in person, I think you're a listener. You just sit there, observe, really listen to what's going on, observe what's going on. Um, have you always been like that? It's not obvious for, for many people, but I mentioned in one of the interviews, I think before already, growing up very early age, I had starting with four, my martial art training, meaning anyway, inside the training, there's no speaking. Then also going to elementary school already, I started realizing about myself when we had the break times. I'm not used to be one of the people standing within any type of group and having any type of conversation. Even going to, um, to the high school later or even university, I have never been the one talking too much. I've always been the one just listening, that's true because I was just interested on the one side, what is it that people are interested in? Okay, what is it that people actually, by using all these words, what do they want to express? And this is something that continuously just, uh, just followed me along, okay? But just because I was not speaking in all these years, doesn't mean inside of me I didn't have my opinion. Doesn't mean that a lot was going on here in order to like understand your logic behind what you are saying. Okay, and sometimes also realizing that I can maybe sense what you really want, but the way how you just like spoke it out somehow for me didn't really fit. So then I asked for myself, okay, I know what he wants because he told me maybe before, but the way how he just 
tries to express it to other people, for me, it doesn't make sense. I would have said it differently. And so this is the way how I internally all the time already started to ask myself, okay, you want this? What is the proper way of expressing it? Because it's not important what you want. It's important, it's not important like, no, no, let's start different. Inside the communication. Yeah. It's not important what you mean. It's important what the other one understands. And if you use the wrong wording and the other person gets a message that you didn't intend actually to bring out, well, that's a problem. Okay, and then this is why then I think uh, misunderstandings can happen, conflicts can happen. So that means the more precise you actually know about your own wording, what they are affecting in other people, I think the greater the ability is to, let's say, achieve what you want. Okay, so this is the point about the preciseness of, of wording. This is why, yeah, yesterday um, I had to talk with your brother. This is why, you know, if I look at Jordan P. Patterson, yeah, this is top league. So uh, I just discovered him a few months ago and directly realized, okay, this is really skillful. Okay. But on the other side, you know, it also doesn't leave any space for misunderstanding. And this is where all of this comes together. So why I think, okay, if I want to have a straight answer, I need to give a straight question. Yeah. Do you think you have to be aware of the person you're speaking to, that they have their own interpretation, their own meanings of, especially of words, you know, people from different regions or different backgrounds, a certain word might have a different impact on them. Are you aware of this? Is that what you mean when you're sort of sensing the way someone really is? Are you aware of that when you're putting, speaking to someone, are you trying to, move around this. Let's say like this. Now we, the both of us, we've met already like the third time now. Yeah. But if I meet a new person on the street, I know nothing about that person. So that also means for me, in the very beginning, I'm not, I'm trying not to judge anything just based on what he's saying. Okay. Because I don't know from what type of source the words are coming, what type of education, what type of thoughts inside, what type of what's going on in that person, because I don't know this. I cannot yet. Um, I cannot yet see the connection between what he's saying and how he is. And that's because in the beginning, always like I used to listen. So for me, it's fine if somebody then continues to talk. And then while he's talking, I try to figure out, for example, okay, what's the, what's the logic behind the talking? What is the mental state while somebody is talking? Because sometimes there are people jumping from one topic to another. But some people do it because they are really confused or because the, jump, the, the monkey really is jumping. Okay, so that is one thing. But some people also change the topics, but they know they do it and they do it consciously, okay? So there is a difference between this. And this is what I try, for example, to find out because it reveals something about the human. Yeah. Um, 
yesterday we were speaking um, about, you know, you know how the Stoics would keep a score to remind themselves of their own mortality. Um, and when we were talking about that, I completely forgot that um, me and my brothers do a similar thing is, well, we've got a calendar and it's your whole life in little squares. And every week you rub out one of the squares, you fill it in, and you're just counting down till the day you die. Um, you know, it sounds, it sounds very morbid, but it's had a huge impact on my life. It's changed my life because um, when you're filling it out, you sort of review the last week and, you, you know, you can see what mistakes you made, what you did right. But just seeing it every day, when you visualise the, the time you have left, it, it's such a visceral reminder of your own mortality. Um, what, what, what do you think of this? Do you think that's... Because, I mean, we spoke about it yesterday and I kind of understand your thoughts on it. But do you think it is morbid? Or do you think there's a, there's a power to it? There are similar things in Buddhist traditions as well. I think one of them even coming from the Dalai Lama, I don't remember. Uh, maybe it is expressed in a little bit more nice way, but in essence, it's exactly the same. Appreciate the time when you wake up in the morning and you go, go to bed in the evening because you don't know if the next day comes. Literally, it's the same. Yeah. yeah. Just the way how it is expressed is maybe a little bit more different. So, but, you know, something like this in my world is just culturally based which means some people are very fine, are very sensitive. They can tell the details of wordings. So there you might use like poems expressing all of this. Okay. But then maybe there are other people. They don't have their focus on mind activities, thinking about it, contemplating about something. So you need it just precisely. Look at the skull. Okay, but the message is the same. But what I also now maybe I could be wrong, but realized is that uh, seems to me like Stoicism is also at the same time maybe very, very life related, but life related to our current life, yeah. life related to our physical life. And so the skull, of course, is a symbolism of the mortality of our body. But this maybe, for me at least, is like the difference. Um, I also know the body falls away, but for me, it's not the end. Because in the perspective that I have looked at the world, I know we are based on form. And at the same time, for me, there is something formless existing. Just because the, the form falls apart, first of all, doesn't mean the next form cannot come and also doesn't mean what happens with the non-form. So it's like this picture of that bubble. We all have our life bubble and one day this bubble bursts. What it just means is you're entering back into the state that's, that in the first place made it possible, the space, for the bubble to appear. So, and now yes, yeah. But why do you say that another bubble can come? Then I just ask, because we are in one. So where is the bubble that we're living in right now? Where, where is this one coming from? Yeah. Okay. So, and this is for me like the overview that actually we would need a lot of skulls on the table. Yeah. 
because that would again like change some perspective on the one side the fact of mortality <laughs> and on the other side the fact of infinity yeah i mean there's actually in um the meditations uh, marcus aurelius um talks kind of about a similar topic you know people are so fear, fear, fearful of death and in here there's a passage somewhere and he's saying you know if if our body just turns to dust and that's it then you know we don't have consciousness there's nothing to fear because we didn't fear before we was born and he says but if our atoms are dispersed and transform into something else or go to heaven um, then that's nothing to fear either so he's kind of saying regardless of what your belief is there's nothing to fear because you either don't realize if if you're dead you cannot fear death um, or you're transformed and then you're into a new consciousness uh, a new life form and then there's no reason to fear death and i think he, he writes about this a lot about death because it was something he dealt with a lot of his people died and I think that's a good way of thinking it. That's something uh, like a revelation I had when I was at school. I kind of thought like, no matter what happens, it's kind of um, nothing to fear. Um, something I didn't, we was talking yesterday and I think for all these talks, I haven't fully explained stoicism enough. Um, and one thing I wanted to kind of clear up is, um, I was talking about like doing good. Uh, I think we was talking about um, the circles of concern and I was saying, you know, you want to do good for your fellow person. The Stoics did have a structure, um, like a defined structure of good, bad and indifferent. So good is the virtues, wisdom, courage, justice and temperance. And then bad is the opposite. Um, it's vice um, and everything else, you know, wealth, fame, health, um, friendship. They're indifferent because, you know, these can be good. Health can be good. It can actually be bad. You know, the health of a, an evil person is bad for everyone else because they're hurting people. And wealth can be used to do good or it can be used to do bad. But they believed that virtue can never be used for bad and vice can never be used for good. So I kind of just wanted to um, clear that up um, so you have a better understanding of what I mean by good. Uh, probably a bit late. You know, we've had three talks now and it's... Uh, a, a long time after, but um, having said that, they believe that courage is good because without courage you cannot push yourself to do the good. You know, if you don't have courage, then you're just reserving it all. Um, I think a lot of people are looking for courage, um, and it's a hard thing to find. How would you get courage? Personally, for me, a lot of this growth has come over. 10 years of stoicism it's like been a slow slow process i don't know if you think it's the same or you've got an understanding of how you develop courage or how you acquire courage it's difficult for me to categorize so this idea of this is good and this is bad um i think it depends on the perspective from who this is coming Okay, so it's, it's like similar if you would now take the yin and the yang. So you would say that this is yin, this is yang. It's like, let's take those two. The small one is yin. The ring finger is yang. In this constellation, yes. But I think it's wrong to say the ring finger 
is always young. Why? It's, it's simply because in this constellation is correct, but in this constellation is not correct anymore. Yeah. Okay? So suddenly now what has before been young has shifted into yin because the young part right now is the middle finger. Okay? So that means good and bad, high and low. It's always a question of, uh, let's say, to what it is related. This is how I see it, to what it is related. Meaning at the same time, drinking water is good. Drinking too little water is not good. Drinking too much water is also not good. Drinking a, in, a, in a balanced way water is life-supporting. Yeah. Okay? So this is in the way, when I hear about these things, how, how I would see it. Now, if it comes to courage, not possessing courage, sometimes hinders you to make experiences that you would be able to experience if you would have a little bit more courage. A little, uh, too much courage puts you sometimes unnecessarily into danger, which is also going to shorten your life. So the question is, where is the middle? Well, and this, this I think is like a very personal question of how much courage, first of all, you yourself want to develop about you. Now, I, I can't say that uh, everybody needs eight out of 10% courage. I think it depends on lifestyle, what way of life he's living and, um, and, and what the goals are in his or her life. Okay, so, but the way, for example, how to cultivate courage is, first of all, again, you need to be able to see yourself and need to be able to see the situation when the lack of courage is apparent. Jumping out of the airplane. When you are standing right before jumping, you've never done it before. It's like maybe your first time and your knees are really, really shaken and you have fear then I think exactly that would be the moment now when you then overcome yourself. That is the moment where your courage just started adding one plus point. Okay? But if you're standing up on the airplane and you're a little bit like, like me, like you love the adrenaline that's going to come, yeah. there's no courage needed. I would have done it anyway. <laughs> Okay, so that means this type of case would not be suitable for me to increase anything about my courage. So in order to grow in any specific area, I think you need to find yourself in a situation where you feel limited. And then this is exactly the, that threshold, exactly that line that you have to cross now. And then it comes the additional plus. Yeah, I mean, um, something you spoke about there was balance. Um, since meeting you a long time ago, um, 
I think that's been a constant theme is balance. You know, um, the Stokes are quite rigid with a lot of things. A lot of it can be summed down to having the right balance. You know, some things are not bad, some things are not good. But when they're balanced right, you know, you've got a you've got a well balanced character. Um, with courage, I think the way I've seen it, it was always kind of stepping out my comfort zone. You know, I would do. It's kind of like what you're saying, but I'd do things that were a little bit uncomfortable. Um, but like when I first started filming videos, I found them uncomfortable, but I wanted to do them. And I noticed after I did it, I felt good about myself. So I, I kind of remembered that feeling of if I just go outside of my comfort zone, the reward is very powerful. And that was kind of my drive to do things that I wanted to do, but my body, my anxieties or my worries were kind of stopping me from doing. So every time I did it, I started growing. Um, I think I'm just conscious of time because uh, we've got to head off soon. But um, to sum this up, I'd like to um, I'd like to ask you a question of either if any of these three Stoics, you know, the Emperor Marcus Aurelius, uh, Epictetus, former slave, or Seneca, who was you know um, served with Emperor Nero, um, or if any of the teachings, anything like that, if any of it sticks out to you. Or over the years, as we've been speaking, if anything, you've ever kind of gone like, that's, that's good, that's, I like that, or, you know, you've took it into your life. Me, it is the fact of right now, you have plenty of books about them available now, 21st century. So what have they done beyond their limited lifetime? they still left something to all of us. And this, this as a fact, is for me like the greatest, in a way, the greatest achievement already that actually you as a human in a way can do. Because you have created something that reached beyond your own skin. You left something in this world that people who are asking the question can always nourish themselves with. And as long as all of these teachings, and this is where it boils down for me, no matter what religion, no matter what philosophy, no matter what you think you are studying or doing, the healthy consequence, in my opinion, should be that you are becoming a human being which is more life-accepting than life-denying. And this idea also then expanding towards the people that you're living in. So that means your emphasis is always, always, always increasing your life quality and the life quality of others. And if any of the teachings is not in line with what I just said right now, either the teaching is misunderstood or it is misused or it is incomplete. This is how I see it. So, and as long as, I don't know, you say, yeah, you derive your teachings by observing animals. If this is what you do and the way then of how you're acting is also like, yes, you are, you are naturally, but you are creating good for yourself and good for your community because you maybe also regard yourself just as another animal and see that support is something good. Then I don't care if it if this religion comes from the animal world. But if then at the same time other 
other fractions or whatever, say my teaching comes from something super high, something superior. But the fact in this world is that not uniting is happening, more fractioning and more separation is happening and more conflict is happening. Something's wrong about that. Then I, then I don't even care where it comes from. This is the bottom line. That reminds me of something you were saying to my brother Jordan about, you know, if, if you get the answer, you've, you've got the answer. And if you share that, you know, that answer might resonate with other people. People are asking the same question or a group of people are asking the same question you asked. And the interesting thing about all three of these books is these were essays and letters that Seneca wrote. This was a personal diary that no one was supposed to ever read. And this was he was just talking to a student and the student wrote it down. So these were never meant to be read by anyone. They were for themselves in a way or to help the people around them. They never wrote a book and thought, let's let's make a bestseller, let's get this out. And I think it's just, you know, the answering questions that over 2000 years are still being asked today and they're answering them there. And I think it's quite amazing. Um, but I'm very thankful to have you on today. Um, being the first person as well. It's a good way to start. Um, and I loved our talk, loved our talk yesterday. I always love coming up to Germany, visit, visiting the temple, seeing you, it's great. Seeing everyone at the temple, it's amazing. Um, so thank you for today. Just one last thing. I mean, there's so much, let's say, wisdom, for example, inside, inside this journal, which means it was a very, very wise person writing this. No wise person puts something into a journal and writes something down, not knowing this journal will be found. That's what I think. <laughs> this talk marks the first step in the direction I want to go with the Everyday Stoic, sharing philosophies great, confusing, complex, incredible, inspiring philosophies from very interesting, successful people who have been through very unique lives, such as Master Shengyi himself. Um, I'm taking all this, and just like I've done with the Stoicism in the past, I've broke it down, made it accessible and enjoyable for the everyday person, such as myself and hopefully many of you watching this, so that you can take this ancient philosophy and use it to live your best life, become the best version of yourself. I'm now taking philosophies from people from around the world and doing exactly the same. So hopefully over the time, you can develop your own philosophy and become the best version of yourself. This was the first episode of many and this year is just going to be filled with so many incredible people. Um, and I'm growing myself, learning these philosophies along the way. So it's a personal journey for me and for you. So subscribe, follow along and enjoy.